Blog Talk Radio. Well, I had to bring it up to 98. But the message still is the same. Because whatever you need is over here at the table. If it's love, it's at the table. If it's peace, it's at the table.
Because if it had not been for you, we would not be here. 
We open our eyes this morning, God, because you gave us the strength to open our eyes. We were able to rise because you gave us strength in our limbs and the facilities of our body. We were able to get here, God, because you blessed us and brought us the way of safety and did not allow harm to come to us, Lord. We're grateful to again come into your presence because we know where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And as we come before you today, have your way, Lord. Let flesh be crucified that you might be glorified, that your people might be edified in the name of Jesus. For God in you is life. And that's what we seek, God, life, eternal life, God. We pray, oh God, today that you will touch every person that have come seeking you, Lord. Bind the hand of the devil, God. Rebuke the hand of the enemy, Lord. God, let your anointing that resonates in this place even now. God, let there be an outpouring on your people. We need you, God, to take us to another level in you, Lord. God, we're faced with demonic forces, God. Evil spirits have come up against us, Lord, and we need to be fortified with your power. God, we can't make it on our own strength, God. We don't have enough to stand on, Lord. But we know, God, that your joy is our strength. Fill us up on today in the name of Jesus. Somebody have come this morning burdened down, God, with the issues of life, God. Somebody, God, is in the battle of their life. Somebody's, God, fighting in their mind and in their spirit, Lord. Where the devil have come in to war against them, Lord. But we thank you, God, because we know greater are you that's within us than he that is within this world, God. We know, God, that you are a deliverer, Lord, that you're the same yesterday, today, and forever, and you're no short of your promise, Lord, and you're able to deliver us, Lord. Touch us on today, Lord. We need you like never before. Fill us up with the Holy Ghost, God, and give us a refilling, Lord, that when we leave here today, Lord, huh? we can leave with your anointing, Lord, huh? that as we meet men and women, boys and girls, huh? they might be converted to know who you are, Lord. Huh? In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Huh? We thank you because you are a healer. Huh? You're the God that healeth thee, huh? and healing is in your wings, huh? and you're able to touch our feeble bodies. Huh? You're able to save our troubled souls, huh? and in the name of Jesus, huh? bind every demon, Lord, huh? every demonic force, Lord. Huh? God, that comes to keep us uh, in the same place, Lord. Uh, we're willing, God, to surrender uh, and say yes to your will, Lord. Uh, we're willing to turn our lives, God, uh, over into your hands, Lord, uh, because we come to the place, God, uh, where we realize like never before, uh, we need you, Jesus. Uh, more than anything we know, uh, we need you, Jesus. Uh, while men are trying to find, God, uh, solutions to this chaotic world, God, uh, we're looking to you. Lord, because we know for every right desire, there is an answer, and Jesus sure that answer. There's no need for us, God, to turn hither or thither, Lord. We need but to look for you, Lord, because you're the answer, God, for our troubled lives, Lord. Touch on the day, God. Break every yoke, oh God. Save on the day, God. Deliver on the day.
today, God. Jesus, we need you, Lord. We need you, Jesus. We need you, Jesus. We're crying out to you, Lord. We know that you're able to save our souls. We know that you're able, God, to heal our bodies, Jesus. We know that you're able, God, to turn our situations around. Jesus, no other help we know. No other help we know. No other help we know, God. You're able, Jesus, to deliver our children. You're able, Jesus, to save the unsaved husband. You're able, Jesus, to heal the cancer patient. Nothing too hard for you, Jesus. No other God we know. We know that you're able, Jesus. We know that you're able, Jesus. We say yes to your will, God. Yes to your way, Lord. Have your way, Jesus. And we'll thank you for it. And we'll give your name the praise. And we'll bless you, Lord. Yes, we thank you, Lord. And we bless your holy name. Come on, open your mouth and give the Lord some praise.
My message is entitled, The Wolf is at the Door. The Wolf is at the Door. Father, I thank you, God. I thank you, Lord, for your word. It's a lamp for our feet and a light for our path. I thank you, Lord, for the indwelling presence of your Holy Spirit that gives us new hearts, Lord, so that we can stretch out beyond our limitations and be ambassadors of you and your word to all who can still hear. I thank you, Lord, for the anointing of your spirit. I thank you for courage and compassion today, God, to speak things that need to be spoken in this generation. Help us, Lord, as a church, never to back away from truth. Help us to go forward and let it fall where it may. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. The wolf is at the door. 
Isaiah chapter 53. Prophet Isaiah says these words. Who has believed our report? Beginning at verse 1. And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He's despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he's borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, and we've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You know, it's, it's so important before we even begin to look at this passage of Scripture to understand that it was a religious system that crucified Christ. You know, we understand that the Roman authorities were the instruments of his death, but it was the religious order of the day created by God's own people that put the Son of God on a cross. There were leaders in that generation, and they had, they had used their position over the people to garner titles for themselves. They had adorned themselves in righteous robes, as they saw it, and they, they loved to parade among the people, as Jesus said, and be called master, teacher, teacher, teacher in the marketplace. But Jesus himself came in a form that he did not take on this form of grandeur that men give to themselves. And also, too, they created a system of salvation that was much wider and much more inclusive than the one that God had given to us. As a matter of fact, it was so narrow that Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. They were so offended when he challenged their religious system because they had, they had created this wide door into eternal life and eternal bliss with God that doesn't exist. All kinds of people were coming into the temple defiled and going out defiled. They were living in manners and ways that the Bible clearly indicated would leave them excluded from the kingdom of God forever. And so in comes this man. He's not interested in their system. He's not trying to garner one of their titles. He's not doing things their way. The Bible says there was no beauty in him that we should desire him. He's not dressed in righteous robes. He's, he's not got boxes on his forehead. He's not walking around with tassels on his arms. He's not parading like some rooster before the people. Talking about how close to God he actually is. They despised him and rejected him because he challenged their religious system. They had created a system of redemption that did not exist. Do you understand? And that's the propensity of humankind. The original sin in the Garden of Eden is that we can be as God is. Remember, we can, we can become judges of what's good and what's evil. And if you take that to its logical extension, we can start declaring things that are, that are God forgives when he doesn't. We can start declaring behaviors righteous when they're not. We can start telling people they're going to heaven when they aren't. That is the grave, grave danger of religion. When humankind in its sin nature is allowed to take it and so twist it and so pervert it 
that it becomes something that God never intended it to be. Can you imagine sitting in a place as a professed or supposed believer in Christ only to end up at the throne of God one day to find out you've been outside the whole thing all along? What a tragedy that's going to be for so many. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. There was a a heaviness in the heart of the Son of God as he looked on the people as sheep without a shepherd. But we hid our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. And we are, of course, reliving the scripture again in great measure in our day. In many, many places, even where God's people are gathering, the word of God is despised. And we are now gravitating to fancy preachers who have opened the door real wide to people who are not going to heaven, given them false peace when they're not at peace with God. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old things are what? Passed away. And behold, all things are become new. If, if we are in Christ, if Christ is in us, that means a new value system. It means a new heart. It means a new mind. It means a new way of speaking, thinking, living. It means that what God says is good is good, and what God says is evil is evil. We don't try to change that. We accept that from the Word of God. Now, this message is given to shepherds to bring us not only to the knowledge of our salvation, but to the freedom which Christ bought for us. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And by his beating, as it is, that he took on the cross, we are healed. The old things don't have power over us anymore unless we choose to let them. The old ways of living, speaking, thinking, doing are broken. And we become new creations in Christ. We are able to look back and say, thank God I'm not what I used to be. I'm not everything that I hope to be. But thank God I'm not what I used to be, and thank God I'm going to be one day what Christ is calling me to be. So there's this constant moving forward in the life of a genuine believer, leaving an old way of thinking, an old way of living, an old way of speaking, and moving to truth, even when it's painful. The book of Proverbs says, a righteous person swears to their own hurt and doesn't change. In other words, I say I'm going to do this, and I do it because God's word says I should, even if it causes me pain. And I don't turn from it. Now, Paul was this kind of a shepherd. He, he didn't hold back, as I said earlier. This is what he said in Acts chapter 20, verses 26 to 31. He said, therefore, I testify to you this day I'm innocent of the blood of all men. In other words, and this is the cry of my heart, if anyone here today hearing my voice ends up in hell, let it not be my fault. Let it never be because I didn't declare to you the whole counsel of God or I didn't warn you of something that had the power to drag you down into eternal darkness. For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Paul says, for this I know, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves men will rise up speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after themselves. 
Therefore watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone, he said, day and night with tears. Paul said there's going to be wolves that are going to come and they're all already, there's packs of them now. It's not just a few, there's many now in our generation. And they're going to come to devour the sacrifice of Christ and the promise of new life through him. They're going to promise you liberty as the scripture says in the New Testament, but they themselves are the slaves to corruption. They're promising something they're not experiencing themselves and they can't deliver it. Listen to what Jude says, the last book of the New Testament before the book of the Revelation. Verse 3 says, Behold, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities round about them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Here's what the wolves do. They teach that you can live a lifestyle against the word of God and still claim heaven as your eternal home. That is the wolf that's now at the door of the Christian church in America. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 to 11. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Be, do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, that means people who engage in sexual intercourse outside of the bonds of marriage between one man and one woman. Fornicators are not going to inherit the kingdom of God. Settle it, it's in the word of God. Don't be deceived into thinking you can live in a moral lifestyle and heaven will still be your home. So hard for this generation to hear. When you've got preachers standing in pulpits saying, well, God understands your need and God is a God of love and God won't send anybody to hell. No, that's not true. God is a God of love. We know that. But the Bible tells us that fornicators have no inheritance in the kingdom of God, nor idolaters, people who have other loves in there, something that is in your life that, that is, is, is your whole obsession Churches or Christ is just a little part of your life, but there's something else in your life that you're pursuing. Nor adulterers, people who engage, who are married, but engage. And, you know, today we take words like adultery and we call it an extramarital affair, as if it's a black tie event. You know, you are invited to an extramarital affair next Friday at 5 o'clock. Bible calls it adultery. Adultery. Settle it. Deal with it. The sex outside of marriage will keep you outside of the kingdom of God. 
and sex outside of the bonds of the person that you are married to, the, wife, the man or woman you're married to, will also keep you outside of the kingdom of God unless it's repented of. Nor homosexuals, nor sodomites. In other words, that's both, men and women. Folks, listen. I understand the dilemma in a sense uh, that some might face in same-sex attraction. But I'm telling you, you can't give in to that lifestyle on any level. Because the Bible clearly says it will leave you outside the kingdom of God. Jesus himself said, some people are eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven. In other words, some people just live their lives without any sexual activity for the kingdom of heaven's sake. And he said, whoever can hear this, let them hear it. You know, you can, you go to a funeral, for example, and you can dress it up with flowers all around and you can, there's a death certificate and the preacher can get up and say nice words. But the reality is that the corpse is still dead. You can't make it live. It doesn't matter what you do. And it's the same with homosexual marriage, folks. I've got to say it straight out today. I'm not going to hold back on it. You can adorn it with flowers. You can get a certificate from City Hall. You, you can find some backslidden preacher to say nice words about it. But the wages of sin is still death. You can't change that. Now listen, I'll be called a hater for, for this message today. I understand that. But I'm not a hater. If I hated you, I'd let you go to hell. If I hated you, I'd let you die in your sin. If I walk down the street and your house is on fire and you're up in your bedroom window and I don't warn you, Am I really a good neighbor? Do I really love you? Do I really care about your eternal destiny? You can curse me out of your bedroom window all you want, but I will still warn you that your house is on fire for your soul's sake. Nor thieves. Lest we should think that we're just going to focus on one thing. Nor thieves. That means people who steal. That simple. People who steal, people who steal a little, they have a contract maybe and steal a little bit more than they should. Income tax time is coming around, folks. Are you going to pay your taxes? <laughs> nor covetous, nor drunkards. People who come to church this morning, but you were out at a club last night. You're drinking and dancing, and, and this foolishness, I'm out there to share the testimony of Christ. Who are you kidding? If you really are there to do that, stand on the sidewalk with pamphlets in your hand and give it to the drunks coming out of the club. You don't need to be in there with them. Nor revilers. You know, especially in, in this environment we're now living in, in this country at this time, where reviling has is is, is become the speech of the day, where it's, it's fashionable just to curse everybody around you. You know, Paul said revilers don't inherit the kingdom of God. We have a different heart. We have a different spirit. We're, we're a different kind of people. Jesus himself said, blessed are the peacemakers. Yours is the kingdom of heaven. Nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. I love that. Would be to God, 
that I can honestly say that of everybody here today. Such were some of you. But you are sanctified. That means you are set apart for the kingdom of God. You are, you, 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 you honestly repented. You walked away. You moved away from what God's word says is wrong. You can't make it right. You can't change it. It doesn't matter if a million people say, oh, isn't this wonderful? If God's word says it's not, it's not. You are sanctified. You walked away. You walked away from these old ways of thinking, these old behaviors and all of these things. And you set yourself apart for the kingdom of God. You're justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Now you and I are living in an hour where the wolf is heading to the door of the church. Demanding in our generation that we bow down to this new definitions of good and evil. This is where we're living. The days of being able to say without penalty what I'm saying today are, are over if they're not if they're not over they're very close to over it's an amazing time that we're now living in jesus said in john chapter 10 i am the good shepherd and the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep but a hireling who is not the shepherd one who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them the hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. This is the point. There's a lot of hirelings in a lot of pulpits in America today. And they're, they're, they don't necessarily leave the people, but they leave biblical truth. They flee the truth when the wolf is at the door. When the wolf says, if you don't bow down, this is our golden statue. This is what this generation is going to look like. This is what you'll preach. These are the truths that you will espouse. They will bow down when the music plays to save themselves because it's always been about themselves, not about the people. The hireling will flee. And you, will, you are seeing and you will see a huge departure from biblical truth in the Christian church in this last hour we're living in. The Bible declares that there's going to be an apostasy, a great falling away in the last days from biblical truth. And the hirelings will lead the people, not into the narrow way of eternal life, but into that broad way of destruction. And they flee because it's always done about them. It's been about the robes. It's been about the praises of man. It's been about the titles. It's been about the numbers. It's been about the apparent evidences of success. Then when Christ comes and challenges them, they hate him. His own system hated him. His own people hated him. They pushed him away because he declared their definitions of salvation and truth to be bankrupt. He told them they were full of dead men's bones. He said, you go across land and sea to get one convert, and you make him twice the child of hell that you've become. These are the words of Christ. He warned us in the last days there would be a great falling away. He warned us. He said, you're going to be hated of all nations for my name's sake. You can't escape that. That's a promise in the word of God. We're going to be hated. It's starting now. You're seeing it in society. You're seeing it in the workplace. You can't even have an opinion on things anymore in this generation that we're now living in. Let me say it clearly now. Abortion for the cause of birth control or, or so the people, I understand there are extenuating circumstances, so please don't misquote me on this. But for the cause of just birth control or for the cause of having sexual pleasure and not having to deal with the life that it can create is sin. 
in the sight of a holy God. It's a terrible sin in the sight of a holy God. In America today, the deliberate gender confusing of our children in grade school is sin in the sight of a holy God. In our high schools, forbidding our children to pray and creating this fictitious division between the state and the church, which doesn't exist. If you really study it, you'll understand it never existed. It was created by the godless. Forbidding our children to pray in our schools is sin in the sight of a holy God. In our colleges, allowing godless professors to rise up and mock God and radicalize a whole generation against even their own nation that was founded by God for the purpose of being able to worship according to the word of God and freely by conscience is sin in the sight of a holy God. And the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Praise be to God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. So let this society despise him. Let them consider him ordinary. Let them rebel against his words. But this day, if, as Joshua once said, if it be hard to follow the Lord, that's your choice. Choose this day. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. By the grace of God, we will not bow before the wolf in this generation. By the grace of God, we will stand for the truth of God. By the grace of God, we will pray again. We will pray again as a church age. By the grace of God, we will stand up unashamed for the truth of Jesus Christ. We stand on the side of victory. We stand on the side. We stand on the side of eternal life in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Glory, 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 glory. Glory, glory, glory. And as uh, David the king once did, we will stand in this generation against the lion and the bear and everything that comes in to devour our children and to devour the people of God. It's time for the church of Jesus Christ to rise up. It's time for the people of God to fight back. It's time for us to begin to pray. It's time to run for public office. It's time for teachers to speak. It's time. It's time for the people of God. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Glory, 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 glory. The true shepherds of God in this generation are going to care more for the people than for their own safety more than our own reputation. Amen. It's not going to be an easy road.
But I don't know about you, but I'm not giving up this generation to darkness. I'm going to stand because the Word of God stands forever. The opinions of men are like grains of sand on the seashore. They'll fall into nowhere. But the Word of God abides forever. Now here's where I conclude. If you're living in sin, I plead with you, while there's still time, turn. Turn from it. And trust God for the strength. I know there's some sitting here or listening online or they're in the annex and they say, you don't know how deep the bondage is. You don't know how powerful the draw is. No, I don't. But I know the Spirit of God is more powerful than all of that put together. And I know the promise of God is that we will have a new life, an eternal life. The days of living in Christian ease is over in America, folks. It's over. We're about to join our brothers and sisters in China and other places who are being persecuted for what they believe. In Iran, who are being jailed and put to death for believing in Christ. We've lived a very comfortable, very lazy Christianity in America, but those days are over. The wolf is now at the door. Pray for those of us who lead in any capacity that God would give us courage. As I pray for you, that God would give you a cleanness of life and practice and heart and give you the courage to speak up in whatever environment you find yourself in. Our children are starving for truth in this generation and they're wide open. There's only a few Goliaths that claim that they have the power to keep us from being the people of God. But they don't. So I challenge you with all my heart, turn from sin, find that new life in Christ, and rise up and be the person that God's called you to be. We're going to sing for just a few moments, we're going to worship. I guess my other call is just twofold today. It's for people that say, oh God, help me please to turn from this thing in my life. I don't have to tell you what it is you already know. Help me to turn away from watching pornography. Help me to turn away from drink. Help me, God, to turn away from that flirtation in the office. Help me, God, help me, God, to stop railing. Get me off, get me out of the seat of the scornful and help me to walk with the righteous. Deliver me, God, from cowardice and put a love for people in my heart that casts out all fear. Give me a voice to call this generation back to you again. And God help me not to cower under the fear of the repercussions that will come all of our way. You know, I was in Washington and there's an ex-general there who really gives courage to my heart every time I meet him and talk with him. And essentially, what he would say if he were standing here is, you have to fight for a cause higher than your own preservation. If it's just about preserving yourself, you'll flee when the enemy comes. If it's about others, you'll stand. 
May God give us the courage in this generation to stand for those that don't have a voice for themselves, for our children, for the unborn, for our high school students, for our college students, for every mother, every father, every child in this country that needs to know there's a Savior who died for them. Give us the grace to be kind and compassionate to all, not judging anyone, we leave that to God, but reaching as far as we can reach into this mass of fallen humanity with this message of incredible grace that belongs to every person who turns to it through Jesus Christ. So Father, I thank you, Lord God, that you will today cause your kingdom to advance. You will give us the strength and courage that we now need as a people to stand against the onslaught of wickedness that wants to extinguish the testimony of your life and word. Lord Jesus Christ, I pray for courage for your people as others throughout the world have had to have. God, deliver us, Lord, from this life of ease that so many of your people have known and bring us into the true fight for the souls of men. Thank you, Lord Jesus Christ. God, we yield our bodies today to this purpose. We thank you in Jesus' name. So we're going to stand in a moment. For those who just, you just know you have to turn from something. And for those who want to turn towards Christ, maybe you don't have a struggle that I'm talking about in your life, but you say, God, I'm stuck in neutral. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going back and I'm not going forward. But today you say, I want to make a difference. I want my life to count. I want my voice to have authority. If that's you, we're going to stand. I'm going to ask you to make your way here. We're going to pray together and believe God to answer our prayer. In the annex, you can make your way here. We'll wait for you in the campus churches. Step between the screens, if you will. We'll be back in just a moment. But I was born with a 
us bow our heads in a moment of prayer. And now, our gracious and heavenly Father, we pray that thou would please let us preach, not for fame nor reputation, but to the end that somebody will be saved. Saved tonight, not only here in the auditorium, but saved in those living rooms and bedrooms and automobiles and wherever people are listening right now. Holy Spirit, you're welcome in this place. And we pray that thou would just reach out and touch tonight and bring somebody home tonight. Turn around that backslider and let them come home. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to thank Pastor Stephen John Thurston for that introduction and for being here with him this week. I also want to thank Pastor Clay Evans. There's no Evans like our Evans. Say amen real loud. I want to thank Pastor Clay Evans for again permitting me to come to the pulpit of fellowship. We have a great place to come to. Chicago has always been a place when you come here, there are several places you can go to. I started coming when Dr. Body was down on State Street. And uh, we would just run from one broadcast to another. And end up at First Church down on uh, Wabash. And so every time I have come, I look forward to going from one broadcast to another, Dr. Humphrey, and all the broadcasts, and, and then in those days uh, over at Omega when Dr. Blair was there, we just, just get in the car and almost have a wreck, running from one broadcast <laughs> to another. And thank God that there are still those who are carrying on. And one place is the ship. I salute you, Pastor Evans, for all that you're doing for people everywhere. I was down in Baton Rouge, Louisiana several years ago, and about 11 o'clock at night, I was trying to go to bed, and I left the television on, and I heard somebody say, ooh, ooh. And I said, <laughs> I woke up, and I said, well, that's Claire Evans. And so I decided... Uh, to wake up and listen to the broadcast. And I stayed up until 12 o'clock, shouting with you all. And then I went to bed, and early that morning, I turned on television early Sunday morning and was in the bathroom trying to get ready to go to church. And I heard him say, what a fellowship, what a joy divide. So I said, well, he put me to bed and he woke me up. Thank God for you. I want to call your attention to the fourth chapter of the book of Acts. And I'm preaching mainly to those of you who are listening in. And I'm asking those of us who are here to pray for those who are listening in, particularly you who have turned back and have backslided. You don't hear that word much anymore, but somebody needs to say that there is a lot of backsliding. And God is not pleased. It says in the fourth chapter of the book of Acts and the 20th verse, we cannot but speak the things 
which we have seen and heard. I want to speak a little while tonight from the subject, said again. Said again. Would you turn to somebody and tell them, said again. Those who are familiar with the process of teaching will readily agree that the best way to teach anything is to have a person repeat it over and over. If you want to get something down in your mind, then repeat it over and over. Amen. I said this morning over at uh, <clears throat> New Covenant that some many years ago, I put in my mind 2245570. That's the number of that church. And I don't have to look it up. It's in my mind. Jackson 23405 was my telephone number 32 years ago down in Houston, Texas because it's in my mind. My girlfriend's number when I was in high school was UL73306. And I can repeat it because I married her and, and so I ain't in no trouble. <laughs> there are some things that you learn by repeating it. Amen. Repetition is a way of fixing it in your mind. Have I witnessed? And uh, some things need, in order to grasp it, you need to say it again. I said you need to say it again. The devil is at his job. And he's doing a job. And one of the things that the devil is trying to do is he is trying to make us become silent at the point that we ought to cess up. I said he wants us silent at the point that we ought to cess up. The devil is in that business. He is trying to produce a silent church. He is trying to rob the church of its power. And the power of the church is in our testimony and the blood of Jesus Christ. Now the blood does the saving, but God needs a testimony. And whenever God takes you through whatever God is taking you through, he is planning on you to say it. I said he's planning on you to say it. And I want to say that God is disappointed because many of you who are listening to me and those of you who are right here in the auditorium, God has many ways given you a testimony. I said in many ways. Some of you here tonight can testify that God brought you through. Some of you in here can actually testify of some of the strange ways that God moves. Some of you here have been blessed by a healing. Amen. 
This time last year when I was here, Pastor Evans and all were praying for my wife because we had just discovered that she had cancer in her left lung. And for two or three months, we went to the doctors and they took x-rays and they did everything. And she took all kinds of uh, uh, pictures that they take. And uh, it continued to grow without control. And it grew in the month of June. And it grew in the month of July. As a matter of fact, the doctor said to me, in July, it's out of hand. And uh, Pastor, uh, speak to your wife. And of course, you would know how touching that was. Because baby and I have been married 32 years. And I mean, we have been happily married. I have moved out one night because of a fight. Amen. I moved out, but it wasn't no fight. Because I'm on the road all the time. And we have two lovely children. And those who know her know that she's one of God's choicest women. And for the doctor to say there's nothing that it looks like we can do because it's growing so fast and we can't operate because it's not an operable tumor. And then uh, we went back in August and we had another uh, photograph of the x-ray. And the doctor asked me to come in. He wanted to talk with me. And, of course, you know, you brace yourself when you go in to talk with doctors. And he said, now, Pastor, here is the x-ray, the first one. And you say, you see all of those, uh, you see the tumor. I said, yes. And he said, now, here is the one, the second one. And you see the tumor is growing. And I said, yes. And he said, now, here is the third one that we took last month. And you see it's getting bigger and bigger. And I said, yeah. And then he said, now, this is the one we just took. And I said, I'm, I'm confused, doctor. Uh, this is a blank page. And uh, he said, well, that's what I want to tell you. We can't find nothing. We can't find nothing. And I said, well, where did it go? And he said, well, you're a preacher. You ought to be able to tell me. I said, no. I said, doctor, I'm, I'm, I'm skeptical about this matter. I've been praying about it, but I'm skeptical. I said, now, go get all of your machinery and uh, take a feet and take a head and shoot her from a head to a toe and try to find where that cancer went to. And when he got through, he came out, he said, Reverend, I'm trying to tell you, your wife don't have no cancer. <laughs> said, uh, she doesn't have to come back to see me in three months if she doesn't want to come back then. I'll just check her, but it's gone. I said, it's gone. And many of you here have testimony. I said, you have testimony. And not only do you have testimonies, but you promise when God was bringing you through, you made God a promise. You promised that, Lord, if you just see me through, I'll serve you the balance of my days. When God saved your soul, you were just as happy as you could be, shouting everywhere. Have I got a witness? And couldn't hardly keep you still. 
that's always on the flow saying hallelujah. And I'm speaking to somebody that's at home in your living room or in your bedroom. That ain't what you promised God. You didn't promise to turn your living room into your church. You can't have no church in your bed. I said you can't have no church in your bed. You need to gather together in my name. You need to quit forsaking the assembly of the church. And so I drop by here to tell you, you ought to say it again. Now some of you used to be loud. You used to have a praise for God. I said you used to have a praise. You've gotten down to a clap now. But you used to have a praise. Somebody used to have an amen. But you can't get your mouth open now. All you can do is clap now. Well, now clapping is all right. I don't mind you clapping. But now they can clap on the dance floor. Help me, somebody. They can clap out there twisting and going on. But we have some words that belong to the church. I said it belongs to the church. It's out of order on the dance floor. One is amen. That's a church word. Amen. You ought to get your mouth open and say amen. Another one is hallelujah. I said hallelujah. And then another one is glory. Keep quiet. 
want to remind you today that a billion starts with the number one. And that's where you and I come in. I have a word today from God, and I don't hesitate to say that. I'm too old to worry about looking good anymore. <laughs> when I come to speak somewhere, like, especially here, I just say, God, what do you want to say? These are your people. What do you want to say? Because we have to get this now. We've, we've got to be a people of truth. We've got to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, because the days are short. Number one, you're going to need the knowledge of Christ for stability in these times. If you don't really know who you are in Christ, not only will you not make a difference, but you won't be able to stand. There's, there's a coming storm into this world, folks, that is going to be beyond anything we've ever seen in our lifetime. The promise of God is that, is that if we hear the words of God, as, you, as you're going to hear today, and we do them, that when the rains come and the, the floods come and the wind beats on your house, it won't fall. It will stand. It can't be taken down because Christ is the cornerstone of your heart and of your life. Thank God. Thank God for that. You and I are destined to be miracles in the hands of God. And I'm not saying that lightly. Every life, Christ died and rose again from the dead, took captivity captive, and gave gifts, not only salvation, but gifts to us that we might be, as the Scripture says, a people wondered at. We, you and I might be a people that, that this world looks at as they did on the day of Pentecost and say, how do you get a relationship with God like that? And where did you get the ability to do the things that you're doing? Remember on the day of Pentecost, people were just kind of going about their, their kind of religious day as, as, as it was, and they suddenly encountered 120 people that God was speaking through. And they were given abilities and giftings to do things they didn't have the normal, uh, natural ability to do. They were speaking in languages they had never learned. And every one of them were speaking about the wonderful things that God is able to do. Amazing. They weren't speaking about themselves. They weren't babbling into the wind. They weren't behaving like fools. They, they were actually speaking about God and about what God is able to do in hearts that are surrendered to Him. People passing by looked at this and said, Whatever, whatever they've found of God, that's what I want in my life. And this is God's purpose for his church. Always has been his purpose for his church. You know, folks, we're not, we're not left on the earth to be an argument about his existence. We're led to be a demonstration of the reality that he is alive. He has been raised from the dead. He did take captivity captive. He, he does indwell a body on the earth called his church. And, and I'm not called, you're not called just to be an argument. Yes, we have to know doctrine, we have to know truth, but I fear for this generation and perhaps one or two before that we, we've almost relegated to an argument. And if you'll notice, in this generation, nobody's interested in our argument anymore. Ah, but that's where God comes in. That's where God begins to do something in us and through us that, that people can't deny. This is what happened with the Apostle Paul. I want to talk about that. This afternoon from 1 Timothy chapter 1. That's where we're going to start. A message called, Make My Life a Miracle. Can you say that? Can you really say that? Can you mean that? <laughs> that I want my life to be a miracle. You know, God's willing to answer that prayer. And so, Father, I do pray, God, for the anointing of your Holy Spirit that has been so 
evident throughout this entire service, the whole day actually, the worship has been amazing. Your presence has been here, Lord. You've already came in advance just to confirm what you want to speak to every heart. And so, Lord, would you give me the ability to speak this today, and would you give us the ears to hear? God, you yourself, Jesus, spoke to the churches in Revelation, and you, you, would, you would put a cornerstone on it by saying, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is speaking to the churches. God, there were warnings there, but there were great promises to each church, Father. So I, I do pray, God, open our ears and open our hearts, Lord, to be able to hear. Don't let us just be a people who are always learning but denying what you want to do in and through each of our lives. Give us the grace, my God, that we need to be able to hear. All of us, Lord. No exceptions. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Make my life a miracle. Paul the Apostle to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 1, beginning at verse 12. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me. <laughs> Hallelujah. I could preach for an hour on that one line. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me. In other words, Paul's saying he didn't call me because I had certain skill sets. He didn't call me because I had a history of faithfulness or certificates on my wall or had achieved things in the religious world. He enabled me to be the person that I became, to do the things that I'm now doing, to have the heart that I now have, because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. In other words, Paul says, the one thing I had is a heart for him. And God knew that when he began to reveal himself in me and through me, that I, I would go with him. And he put me, because of it, into the ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, in other words, I, I cursed his name. I used to do that when I was a cop. We'd play cards at lunchtime. and I had a habit of cursing the name of Jesus Christ to my shame. Paul said, I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, an, an insolent or a violent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. I, I believed God, and I knew that he loved me. That's why he died for me. And his, his grace, his his ability that he was willing to give me, the favor that he was willing to pour into my life was, was exceedingly abundant. It was, it, was, it was more than I could even ask or think, beyond what I thought God would ever do in my life. He goes on in verse 15, he says, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. However, for this reason I obtained mercy, that in me first... Jesus Christ might show all long-suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. And Paul was saying, I was the worst of the worst as sinners. I was a blasphemer of God. I was an angry man. I persecuted the church of Jesus Christ, and I, I did violent things to the people of God and, and others, I'm sure, in his life. But he called me, and his love was shed abroad in my heart, and that in me first he might show other people that he's willing to take us no matter where we come from. doesn't matter your background. I don't care how many years you've been in jail. None of it matters or the things that you've done in the past. But he's willing to take you, he's willing to take me, and he's willing to use our lives for his glory, even though it may take a while for him to get through to us, that that's really his intent and his purpose in each one of our lives. 
from being a blasphemer and a persecutor, Paul's life was made an undeniable testimony of the power of God. And it either had to be accepted or rejected, but never ignored. Never ignored. This is the desire of my heart. God, every room I walk into, every, every environment that you invite me into, let the testimony of your life in my life cause people to either bend the knee or pick up rocks to throw them at me, or, but never let it be ignored. Let there be a trembling in the hearts of even rulers who hear of who you are and what you're able to do. Many people knelt when they heard Paul's story. Others raged and even rulers trembled. Because here was a man fully surrendered and gripped by the presence and power of God. I remember the story of D.L. Moody, who was just a young man. I think he was about 15 years old, and he was, worked in a, in a shoemaker's shop. And a Sunday school teacher had a burden to go talk to him. And they were sitting on a park bench. And the Sunday school teacher said to him, Dwight, he said, the world is yet to see what God could do through a vessel that was fully surrendered to the Holy Spirit. And he just got up, the Sunday school teacher, and he walked away. And as I read one of Moody's biographies, it says that he sat there and he said these words, By the Holy Spirit of God within me, I shall be that man. And the rest is history. That man traveled with very little education, traveled all over the world. Revival broke out everywhere he went. People would tremble in the presence of God because he, he, he just trusted God to make his life a miracle. He didn't have the skill set. If you ever read his writings, he couldn't spell even though there's a Bible college named after him, he himself couldn't spell. It was very uh, difficult. Paul said these words in Galatians 2.20, It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. That's the key. The abandonment, in a sense, of ourselves. The, 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 the giving over of our rights. The giving over of our plans and ambitions. And, and even our self-view whether it's a grand one or whether it's a really bad one, whatever it is, we just simply put it all in the hands of God and say, here, this all belongs to you now, and you can do with it what you will. But now give me, give me your self-view of me. Give me your view of my life. Give me the giftings that I'm going to need to do what I'm called to do in this world. Let it be no longer I that lives. Let it be Christ that lives in me. At some point in our lives, the reality of the fact that we have the third person of the Godhead living in these earthly bodies has to take hold of us. We don't just have a concept about God or arguments about God or knowledge about God or a fuzzy feeling about God. We actually have God in the third person living in these earthen vessels. The Bible does say that the Spirit of God within us intercedes for us with groanings. And I, I know what that is. I, that's the groaning of God to, to bring us in line with God's will for each one of our lives. He's thinking more about you than you could even imagine about yourself. He's got plans for your life that you've not even thought your life is going to amount to. The danger that we face as believers in Christ is at some point we set our judgment about ourselves above the judgment of God and above the Word of God. And we start determining the course of our own life. And how tragic it's going to be one day to, to get to heaven. Now, that's, that's not tragic in itself. Thank God for that. But you get to the throne of God, and maybe there's a video section. I don't know what it is, but you finally see what our lives could have been. Now, we're still in heaven, and heaven is still our home. I'm not talking about salvation now. I'm talking about what could have been done, what the will of God really was for each one of our lives. Second Corinthians in chapter 5, verse 17, this, this is the verse that won me to Christ. I want you to know this right now. I, I, you know, when, when, 
when the police officer that shared the gospel with me, I was a cop as well, and who shared the gospel with me, I wasn't really even concerned about my sin. I have to be honest with you. I wasn't concerned about a lot of things that he was talking to me about. The one thing that really, really was a hook in a sense in my heart is this one verse. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Behold, the old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. That's an amazing verse. I remember thinking, is that possible? Is that possible that God could, so, God could change my life, that I, I could actually be a new person? I was fooling the crowd, just like many here are, or at least some anyway. But I knew what I was. I knew what I was becoming. I knew where I was going, and I was powerless to stop it. The selfishness of my own heart was starting to consume me. The anger was getting deeper and deeper in my life. The drinking was getting more and more uh, a part of my life to the point where some of my friends began to be concerned. Oh, yeah, I could fake it at a party, and I could pull up my guitar and sing and look like I'm the life of the place, but I knew what I was when I would get home and sit on the edge of my bed. And I remember this verse. This police officer told me, he said, I used to be a, a womanizer, a drunk, and a gambler. And I'm looking at a guy that looks like he's been raised next to a piano singing Amazing Grace. I remember thinking, how is that possible to change like that? And he would tell me, Carter, it wasn't me, it's Christ in me. And there's a promise that if, if you open your heart and Jesus Christ comes in and becomes part of your life, the old things that govern you lose their authority. They lose their power. They lose their, their right to dictate your future. It's gone. The wounds of the past begin to be healed, and all things become new. When I came to Christ, I remember in 1978, I pulled over on the side of the road, and my prayer was, the guy's name was Irv, by the way, the police officer, and I, my prayer was, Jesus Christ, if what Irv has said is the truth, then I open my heart to you. If, it, if it's possible, I can have a new life. If I can be forgiven, and if you can help me to be the person that you want me to be, then I, I give you the rights to my life. Peter the Apostle says in 1 Peter chapter 2, and verses 9 and 10, speaking of us today, he says, You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. This is what we're called to do. We're, our whole being speaks about light, speaks about newness, speaks about the wondrous power of God to transform us into the people that he's making us into. Verse 10 says, Who once were not a people, but now are the people of God, who have not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. We're living in a generation that needs to see and hear from people whose lives have been miraculously changed by the power of God. Have you noticed that our arguments don't matter anymore? There needs to be a demonstration in this generation of the presence and power of God through his church, which brings everything back down to you now. And to me, we are God's plan A. We're not plan B, C, D, E, F. We're God's plan A. There is no other plan for this generation except for you and except for me. In the book of Ephesians, chapter 3, and verses 20 and 21, listen to these words of, of the Apostle Paul. Now, in, in the context of, of understanding what he considered his life to be, he says, now to him 
who's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Did you realize that today, that God is able to do more, exceedingly more, above all that you're able to think? Now, I want you to think about what you'd like to be. Think about the, the best plan that you think God could ever have for your life. And the Bible says He can do more than you can think. He can do more than you can ask according to His power that's at work within us. His ability, His desire, His, his heart. His heart to lift us in all of our infirmity, in all of our struggles, in all of our trials, in all of our weaknesses. Remember Paul said, I go first to show you how long-suffering God is. In spite of all the struggles that we have, it's his plan to bring glory to his name through us in all generations. Through you. Remember, a billion starts with one. Verse 7 of chapter 4 in Ephesians says, But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. In other words, you have everything that you need to do what you're called to do. It's already there. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. When he rose from the grave, he took the power of hell and destroyed it. He took everything that the devil would have to bring us into bondage and broke those chains, opened those doors, gave us life, gave us light, and he gave us the giftings that we need to do what we're called to do. You have everything in you right now to do what God's called you to do. Now you know why I said we're going to have to have the ears to hear this. I heard this. I was in my 20s when I heard this. I remember sitting on the edge of my seat in church and thinking, could that be true? Could God use my life for his glory? Could, could he make me more than I am? Is, is it true that with God all things are still possible? Does he, does he still take the, the nobodies and nothings? It says that in, in, in the book of 1 Corinthians. He, he takes the, the weak and he takes the lame and the, the nobodies, the nothings, the despised, the foolish. This is his plan to glorify his name in the earth. Is that possible, God? Could you take my life and could you use... My life for your glory, could you actually make my life a miracle as the scripture bears witness? All the gifts that he's given to us, in order to receive them, number one, they have to be desired. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 31, Paul says, or, but earnestly desire the best gifts. They have to be desired. Like if somebody gives you a gift and, and you look at it and it's all wrapped up and it's, it's got a pretty bow on it and it's for you... There has, there's a desire comes into your heart. Isn't that right? At least I hope so anyway. I mean, just it, maybe it's your birthday. Somebody brings you a present. I don't know. It's Christmas. You, some, somebody gives you something. Maybe it's unforeseen. And somebody says, here, I, I bought you something. And you look and it's wrapped up. You don't know what it is, but you initially desire it. And it's the same in the kingdom of God. You, you have to desire what God has for your life. 
He's not going to impose it on you. He's not, he's not going to come in and force you or me to be the people he wants us to be. There has to be that, that desire in the heart. Then we have to unwrap it. 2 Timothy 2.15, Paul says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We, we've got to get into the word of God. We've got to study the word of God. We've got to find out who we are in Christ and what the giftings of God in each of our lives are actually for. And then once we have unwrapped it, then we have to embrace it. There are no gifts or receipts with God's gifts. You understand? There are no returns. There's no boxing day or whatever you call that day, whatever the, the day after Christmas. There's, there's, no, there's no wrapping it up and taking it back and exchanging it. Gifts and callings of God are without repentance. And we have to embrace it. Paul said, that's why Paul said, it's no longer I who live, it's Christ who lives in me. And when you do, your life becomes a miracle. The, the church of Jesus Christ is a supernatural body. And don't ever settle for anything else. Don't let yourself become just a natural person. That means that you're governed by your own reasoning, by your own sight, by your own strength, by your own feelings. We are a supernatural body. We are governed by the Spirit of God. We are led by the Word of God. We are gifted by the giftings of God. We are called to do what God has determined to do through us. None of us should ever be able to get to the end of the journey and say, boy, I did this all by myself. No, Our song ought to be, only God could have done this. Only God could have done this. How merciful God has been. When we get to the end of our journey and some of us lift our feet up into our beds, we should be able to say to our friends or family, whoever's there, say, follow me as I've followed Christ. This is a wondrous life. This is a supernatural life. This is an amazing life in God. God took me and out of the ashes of my life made a miracle. In Matthew 11:23, Jesus intimates in the Scripture that if miracles, which can only be attributed to the power of God, had been present in or part of the fabric in Sodom, it would have been spared. He said, oh, Capernaum, if the things done in you, the miracles done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. If Sodom had had miracles, I preached on that here a few, a few weeks back, And it tells us that no matter how decadent a society gets, it can still be reached when the power of God is visible in it. We're living in a decadent day. We're living in a day of of rampant and ever-increasing immorality. Confusion is abounding on every side. If ever there was a time for the church to rise, it's now. If ever there was a time for the power of God to be displayed through ordinary people, it's now. If ever there was a time for you and I to embrace the fullness of Christ and the fullness of his calling and take the risk and go off the cliff with God, may I put it that way, and say, Lord, I'm not willing to be ordinary. I'm not willing to be ignored any longer. God Almighty, whether they kneel or whether they rage or whether they tremble, let there be a reaction to your presence in my life. Give me the courage to speak. If you've given me a word of knowledge, give me the courage to speak it. A word of wisdom, let me speak it. If you move on my heart to lay hands on somebody that's sick and believe that they're going to be healed, give me the courage to lay hands and pray. Give me the power to take authority over the devil and all the works of darkness in my family, my friends, in society, and my enemies. 
God, I'm not sitting on the sidelines any longer. I'm going to walk with you from this day forward. There was a man in Sodom, his name was Lot, and he was living so far beneath his inheritance. He was, the, of, he was related to Abraham, through whom God said, the whole world is going to be blessed through you and those that are part of your lineage. And, but he chose to live so far beneath his inheritance, so mixed in with the city in which he was living in, that his life and his voice made no difference. Even when he knew the judgment was coming, and he ran to try to get people to escape the city, they wouldn't listen. They thought he was joking. And I can hear people saying to him, well, if, if this city's about to be destroyed, why are you so intermixed in it? Why is it your whole value system? Why do, you, why do you just talk about it nonstop? If you knew we were under judgment, why are you just talking about it now? There's got to be a people in our generation that say today, not so with me. I'm not going to live like Lot did in Sodom. I'm going to let God make my life a miracle because Jesus said if miracles had been there, it could have been spared. That means this decadent generation can still be reached if the power of God is found in the people of God one more time. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Let God arise in his church. Let the enemies of righteousness be scattered. Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, and I'm going to close with this scripture. Verses 13 and 14. He says, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul was saying, I'm not everything yet that I feel that God wants me to be. And I know I've still got a ways to go, but I'm leaving behind everything that needs to be left behind now. And I'm moving forward to this incredible calling of God that's on my life in Christ Jesus. Because he has shown me mercy, he's shown me grace, I understand his plan for my life. And I believe that he can do more than I could even ask or think if I will surrender to him. I believe in Paul couldn't have known that his obedience, his moving forward, was going to pen the New Testament. Do you understand all the, the doctrine I've shared with you today, except for the book of Peter, has come from the hand of this surrendered man. He could not have known that his life was going to give guidance to hundreds of millions of people. For 2,000 years, to, he could not have known. But he did know this one thing, that if I press on in God, there's something in, through my life that's going to bring glory to his name. And if you and I make that choice today, I'm telling you there's something in each of our lives that will bring the name of Christ to reputation and to glory. And don't get overwhelmed with the thought of what, what will I do or what do I have to do. Just start with the first thing. Just start there. The Holy Spirit will speak to you. You start there. And you begin to, you begin to leave behind what needs to be left behind. That's where it, sometimes that's where it starts in people's lives. You need, there's certain things that need to be put away and left behind. Then suddenly you're reading the Word of God and it starts to unfold and you see what the future could have and you start moving towards that future. As I said this morning, I, I'm familiar with this because I know what it's like to feel like your life is not going to amount to anything. 
I know what it's like to feel that the, the darknesses in your life are getting deeper, the selfishness is getting more pronounced, the, the anger and despair are getting worse. And then suddenly this, this whole new realm begins to open of God. And you begin to hear words like I'm sharing with you today, that with God all things are possible. I remember, I've, I didn't share this this morning, but I remember I was in a church and I heard a message. I, I don't know if it was this like this one, but it was something similar because my heart started to burn inside. And the, the pastor, he basically said, if you want to give your future into the hands of God and, and live for him, and he gave an altar call, and it was about 700 people, about the size of this downstairs here today. And everybody stood up, and nobody moved. I couldn't believe it. I mean, they all looked so good in that church. They all had nice clothes and big Bibles. And the families looked to be together. I'm in jeans and jean jackets, most likely. I'm on a day off. I haven't shaved, and I just... I don't know the Bible. I don't even know there's a, such a thing as Ezekiel in the Bible. I, I don't know any of this stuff. And I'm thinking, oh, God... What's wrong with these people? Like, they've got all, they've got everything. They've been raised in Christian homes. I, I, I wasn't. They know the Bible. I don't. And they look so good. They're, they seem to be really into this world called Christianity. I'm just kind of riding the edge of it, wondering how deep I want to go. And I, I felt just to get out of my seat, nobody else did. And two reasons. Number one, I felt bad for the preacher. He's such a nice guy, and he preached a good message, and nobody responded. And number two, the Holy Spirit was drawing me. And I remember there was just two of us, about 700 people. I was on this side, and another guy in a green suit, I remember, came down this side. And both of us got on our knees, and I just started to cry. And I said, here are my words. I said, Jesus, I have nothing to give you. The little boy in the story at least had some loaves and fish. I don't even have that. I remember my words. I said, if you need a bad temper, I'm your man. You need a lousy husband, that's me. If you need a guy who doesn't know how to be a father, I qualify. And, and by the way, I don't like people. I'm, on, I'm right on the edge of hating people. But if you think you can use this life, I give it to you. And you see, God specializes in miracles. He specializes in taking nothing and making something out of us for his namesake and for his glory. So that's what I'd like to invite you into today. Remember I started by saying a billion starts with one. And it starts with one heart that says, here am I. I don't feel worthy. I, I, don't, I don't, I wouldn't, if I were God, I wouldn't use me, but if you want my life, I give it to you. And he takes us in our nothingness and he becomes everything. Changes us. You know, I, somebody, I, fortunately my house burned down years ago and I, we lost all of our pictures of what we used to be before we came to Christ. There's always somebody out there that's willing to send you an old picture of yourself. And somebody did. I looked at that, Pastor Tim, and it scared me of the man I used to be before I came to Christ. That man's eyes were dark. His countenance was dark. His, his heart looked empty. And I remember looking at the picture and I remember thinking, thank God that man is dead. Thank God that another man was born because of Christ. 
I, I wish I had a thousand lives to thank Jesus for what he has done. The best way I know to thank him is to convince you that this journey is worth taking. You know, the, one of the perils of the last days is there's going to be a people, Paul said, that are always learning, but never able to be brought to the knowledge of where that truth is taking them. And they deny the power of God. In a sense, they, they just resist it. They resist what God wants to do. They, they learn but deny his power. I don't want to be among them. I've been asking the Lord to increase the borders of my own tent to, to help me so that I can help others, so that I can help you today become the people that God wants you to be. So, Father, I have delivered your heart. And I know it's your heart, and I know you gave me this word. All I can do is deliver it, and Holy Spirit, you have to make it real. But I do ask God for every evangelist that's here and doesn't even know what they are, every pastor that doesn't know they're called, every, every civic leader that's here, every one that's going to make a difference in their, in their sphere of life, whatever it is, whether it's in the academic world, whether it's pushing a broom, it doesn't matter. God, you have something so much bigger for every life that's here. Would you give us the grace to yield? Would you give us the grace to believe that you can use us for your glory? So I'm going to ask you to stand, and I'm going to ask you to make the journey I made uh, 40 years ago now. Imagine that, 40 years ago. And if the Lord's speaking to your heart, and you believe that God can make your life a miracle, I'm going to ask you to slip out of your seat and just join me here. And we're just going to pray. Pastor Tim's going to come. He's going to lead you. Come on up. Come on up. Just join these guys that are coming. Thank God. Just, just move out of your seat, wherever you are. Just move. Don't write yourself off. Don't sell yourself short of what God has for you. I'm not looking to pack an altar. I'm looking for you to become everything that God wants you to be. It's not about packing an altar. The day I responded, there was only two. And I've lived to see a lot of people come into the kingdom of God. Just slide in. Move in close to give room. Just keep coming. Just keep coming. It doesn't matter what you do for a living. God will take you way beyond that. Give you an ability to do something you never believed that you'd ever do. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Just keep coming. Father, thank you, God, for thank you for the miracles coming down the aisle today on all sides. Miracles, God. Lives that are going to be transformed. Lives that are going to be new. Things that are going to be done for your namesake that will bring your name to glory. Pastors that are going to be helped. Leaders, God, that are going to be strengthened. God, make us a miracle. We, we don't want to settle for anything less. Make this church a miracle. God Almighty, we, we ask you for transformed lives to be the hallmark of this church. It started with Nikki Cruz, a man, a man who was diagnosed as unredeemable, has preached to 30 million people. God Almighty, you gave us a sign of what you wanted to do. Do it again, Lord. Do it again young men coming down, the young women, God. Do it again. Do it again. Raise up voices, evangelists, pastors, teachers. People who have found churches. People who go to mission field. People who will run for political office. People who will be 
stand in the education system, people who will be the best janitor that's ever, ever touched a broom in New York City. God Almighty, God Almighty, the anointing makes the difference. The power of the Holy Spirit makes the difference. The presence of God makes the difference. It's not what we do, it's who's doing it through us. Thank you, Lord. Father, I pray, God, right now for the anointing of the Holy Spirit, God, the presence of your Holy Spirit, for hearts to begin to burn for what they've heard today, God, what we've all heard, because it's been your word. It's not been anybody's opinion. It's been your word that we've looked into, and we've seen something about your heart towards us. God, the desire of your heart to make such a difference in this generation. Give us a testimony, Lord, that can't be ignored anymore. A testimony that can't be denied. A testimony that will put to shame the contrary arguments of darkness. Oh, Jesus Christ, I pray that not a single person at this altar or in this sanctuary would say, no, this is not for me. Not a single person. God, you would lead us. You would guide us. You would change us. We ask it in the precious name of Jesus.
tell you what to give me all the freckles off your face. Let us trust in the people. 